The presenting sponsor of On Education is Participate. Lately, teachers from all over have been working together to find new approaches to provide quality remote education. Participate's sister company, Participate Learning, presents United We Teach, a global gathering place for educators to share distance learning resources as we navigate these strange times. For these resources and more, visit participate.com slash oneducation. And I'm like, so what kind of music do you play? And he's like, well, it's kind of, you know, he's trying to describe what... And then he played you the poop song. <laughs> Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss how changing grading systems can combat racism, whether we should be giving zeros during distance learning, why we should not be going to school five days a week any longer, and our guest this week is the president of Games for Change, Susanna Pollock. So Glenn, tell me about car talk. (laughs) I don't know anything about car talk. It's just a really famous radio show, and I'm sure that eventually became a podcast um, that I think it was popular even when where I grew up, which was in El Paso, Texas, and then I grew up uh, high school years in New Mexico. And though it's, it was a radio show about cars, about fixing cars, okay, uh, et cetera, yeah. um, it really wasn't about that. It was more like... <laughs> It was more like a show where you just listened in and then kind of listened to conversations uh, that were going on uh, between these two guys that had this famous radio show. And so anyway, the other day, that's why I thought it was amazing and awesome that um, there was someone who posted on Twitter that, first of all, it was a really cool way. People have gave us compliments before. Um, which is amazing. Thank you all for your compliments as far as for the show and that you listen and those types of things. But I've never heard anyone <laughs> quite state what um, this listener stated, which was, number one, that she was listening to the podcast while uh, driving and in the back seat, uh, her daughter was listening and said, what are you listening to? <laughs> um teacher talk teacher or something talk radio. like that teacher talk radio <laughs> and i thought that was yes. amazing that was amazing and she also compared us basically to this uh legendary radio show basically called car talk and so i was like hey you know what we've made it to the big time when we're being compared to those guys because i'm gonna take uh, it yeah that's i'm it's taking pretty... i'm taking the w on this one and i'm just gonna and even teacher talk radio i'm like hell yeah we'll Take teacher talk radio. <laughs> that's freaking I'm awesome. I'm fine with it. Yeah, that's a great. Uh, that's completely a great descriptor. Fine, completely fine with it. Yeah. We uh, someone else said, um, you know, our podcast. Um, what is it that they occasionally learn something new? <laughs> yes. um, but it's also yes. just two guys laughing at their own jokes, their own and jokes. I was yeah. like. True, that's, true. That's true. <laughs> Though you might listen in to be able to get something educational, it's more just to listen to us laugh at ourselves and our own funnies, our own funnies that we think are hilarious. <laughs> I, I'd like to think that we're we're fairly informative. Um, sure. I, I would also like to acknowledge that I absolutely do laugh at my own jokes um, and think I am freaking hysterical. So. <laughs> 
Um, I think I get that from my dad. I laugh all the time about whatever <laughs> might be, and it's 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 partially a nervous tick. And sometimes it's because I do actually genuinely laughing at things. So it could be both good and bad depending upon the situation. So it could be some bad moments when you're laughing when you shouldn't be laughing. Sure. Uh, but but anyway, that's <laughs> definitely comes across on the show. So kind of like uh, all thank of you guys for actually listening. Yes, thank you for listening. Twenty twenty is all laughing even though you shouldn't be laughing. Exactly. Well, yes. Exactly. That's, there's a definition of twenty twenty. Uh, totally. We'll that totally. One. Yes. So, so my house has become obsessed. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I shouldn't say my house. Yeah. Uh, my youngest son is in junior kindergarten and has just discovered Cuckoo Kangaroo. Yes, Their baby. Their teacher um, obviously plays this for them. This is something my wife has known. Listen... I might be the only person in this conversation and who's listening who didn't know who the hell these guys were until until a week and a half ago um, because it's clear that mm. my wife knew who they were because yeah. she was like, oh, yeah, I mean, my wife's a kindergarten teacher. She's yeah. like, oh, yeah, we played this all the time. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. New words to songs and and everything. Yeah. And and Jacob is, like, jumping on the couches. And, like, I'm like, okay, dude, don't jump on the couch. At least get on the floor. So then he gets on the floor and jumps on the around on the floor and dances. And then I find out that you know them and that Audrey knows them and I'm like what the hell is going on around here that we have not booked these folks on the podcast yet yeah someone is dropping the ball (laughs) and it's and it's you my friend I never even thought about bringing them on which I should have uh, the whole entire time. Uh-huh. But one of the members <laughs> of, of Cuckoo Kangaroo, which, by the way, if you don't know who they are, you should just go right just now. Just go look it up and go, and first of all, go down go the listen, rabbit hole. Listen to the first. This I highly recommend. Uh, one of the first videos I watched of theirs was Rolling in the Minivan. And if you haven't heard okay. that one, it'll begin the journey down the path of cuckoo kangaroo oh my and god my goodness you're going to hear so many great there's hits. the super that superhero one and there's yes. one about pizza that there's that is and the then there's the, the the what is the um <laughs> the pop popsico yeah popsico pop-sy-co. was the one Pop, yeah, it's Pop-sy-co. yeah. It seems popsico is now anyway let me finish my one thing yeah yeah, yeah do it so um, one of the members, Brian, uh, of yes. this duo, um, he was a student teacher at one point in time in his life in the school that I taught at previously to here, so uh, in southeastern Minnesota. And one of my colleagues uh, taught right next to me, and he was a social studies teacher, and Brian was a social studies teacher also in for this guy, Mike. And so anyway, we met Brian. Uh, I mean... He definitely brought the personality of <laughs> the cuckoo kangaroo kind of personality into the classroom. So it's super dynamic, fun, uh, very engaging. And he said to us, you know, these old, these older guys, I, you know, I, I play music and I'm like, cool, you know, because I play guitar and I sing whatever it might be. And I'm like, so what kind of music do you play? And he's like, well, it's kind of, you know, he's trying to describe what. And then he played you the poop song. <laughs> no, no, he, he, they hadn't started doing any of those <laughs> oh, things okay. yet. I don't think, I don't even know if they had recorded. They had recorded, I think, maybe a few things, actually, to okay. be honest with you. But they weren't, 
yeah, like they are they, now. Yeah, and they were touring a little bit. So he was like, yeah, we tour a little bit, whatever. Maybe to these basically, you know, like little places all over the place. And anyway, we listened to their songs and we laughed. It was super fun and funny. And then eventually they came out with Rolling in the Minivan. And that was a funny, that's an awesome song and hilarious. And I figured, you know, he's going to go into teaching now. And then this is like a little side project that goes away, you know, whatever it might be. I was very wrong because just (laughs) the other day he was being mentioned and talked about in a long discussion by Ryan Seacrest (gasps) on his podcast. No way. And he is talking about it. Uh, We'll make sure we link that that tweet because they have a a clip of it for YouTube. Um, And he's talking about that Popsy Co song um, and talking about his kids. They're like, have you heard of... He talks to these two... What uh, the hell's Ryan Seacrest doing stealing our thunder, by the way? Oh, dude, it was amazing. He's like, have you heard of these guys, the Cuckoo Kangaroo? I mean, the way he even mentioned it. And then he started singing what you were just singing, the PepsiCo song, you know? And it was fantastic. I'm just like, oh my goodness. You have That's how you just, know, I guess. You have you've just arrived. like accelerated the growth tremendously. So, when That's Spray how you know you've Seacrest. arrived when you get mentioned on On Education. Oh man, dude. So anyway, we're going to have them on. We will bring them on and we'll bring on Neil and uh, Brian onto the show. And we want to just talk to us about, you know, the, you know, the creative process, anything else. So if you guys have some great questions to ask yeah. them or if you guys want them to do like a little live thing for, you know, that would be fantastic. Poops and, poops and farts. Poops and farts, fanny packs, you know, anything, fanny whatever packs. you... <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, so anyway, super fun. Super fun so and interesting. Cool. Yes. Um, this, I'll, I'll tell you, you're not the first person in the last little while that's linked this documentary um, about the Oregon Trail... Um, and I've seen it come up in my feed a couple of times. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to promise to watch it between yes. now and, and next week. Um, so, so tell us a little bit more about it. Cause it, cause it's, I've only yeah. just seen it on social. It's probably like a 20 minute, uh, oh, documentary. Okay. So it's not super long, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit less than 20 minutes, but it really walks you through the, the process of how this came, came to be and, and, and actually, how long ago this the idea came to fruition? And and these uh, educators, there was an educator, and there was a couple of guys who were just super into coding, right? And um, just like their process of coming up with this mic is freaking awesome. I mean, I just like hearing, you know, an idea that one somebody had and said uh, something to the effect of, "I I'm going to uh, use these dice, and we're gonna." Uh, we're going to um, recreate the process of, you know, w- going through the Oregon Trail. And he was, he had these ideas in his head and these, and this guy goes, well, why don't we just go ahead and code it and, and create it mm. on, on computers. And, and, and there, he's like, yeah, but I'm doing that like uh, next week. And they're like, we can do it. Oh, dude, it's freaking crazy. <laughs> awesome. And then how that ended up being, uh, how they sold the idea basically to the state of Minnesota and Minnesota ends up kind of putting out this open forum for any computer company to kind of say, who can, who can run this software? Right. It happens to be the Apple IIe that ends up being the winner of it that could actually run the thing to make it actually work. And that, and then, you know, the rest is history. And it's super interesting, very cool. And these guys are very super humble. Um, by the way, they didn't, they didn't get any of the 
they get nothing. So they get no they, revenue from all of those T-shirts. They didn't get any. They don't get anything, man. It's man. kind of a. It's a. For sure, you got to watch the the the, uh, the documentary because that's so many people with because that's like you, their you have legacy. There's dysentery T-shirts. This is their legacy, and <laughs> and they've not made any revenue oh, off boy. of it. But you know, but they got to tell the story. I guess that's that's an awesome thing, and it's a really cool, interesting thing as far as how far back people were thinking of game-based learning and and making it happen in schools. It's freaking awesome. So. Um, if you have 20 minutes to spare, check it out. Cause I, I highly going to watch it. it as soon as we're done here. We'll link yeah. it in the show notes for too, sure. Um, for sure, for so, sure. That, so that you can go check this out. Um, the next thing on our, on our little list here is so we've talked about schools in San Diego before. Yes. Um, and, and they seem to have this like, I don't know if it's a unified personality where they think outside of the box a little, but certainly they're not afraid to do things that are a little abnormal. Um, and you know what's funny is that this just changed. So the the San Diego Unified School District is removing grades, changing their grading system from a marks, uh, like an A, B, C, D percentages grade to a mastery based system and you know the irony is obviously that you know a lot of educators talk about doing that um and never do it no it's just one of those things that you know people love to talk about at conferences that people love to bring up on twitter um but you know when push comes to shove um they don't actually do it and 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 so we wanted to bring this up because the whole school district it's the second largest school district in california san Mm -hmm. diego unified school district and they're doing it across the board and uh, this this um this um quote if we're actually going to be an anti-racist school district we have to confront practices like this that have gone on for years and years. It's mm. it's you're going to hear from Victoria Thompson a little bit later, and she's going to say almost the exact same thing that there's there's talking about doing things and then there's doing things. Absolutely. And and I say this all anyone who knows me knows I say this all the time too, is that I'm I'm just done with people talking about doing stuff. Let's actually you know do stuff. Um, and this is doing stuff, and they're doing it because. Um, you know, people of color are um are disproportionately victims of this type of grading system. They're Absolutely. doing this to combat racism. Absolutely. And and I mean they have the statistics to prove it. We know that this is happening. We know it has happened. We also know too, and we've talked about this on the show, that the way that we grade this A B C D F system, um, it's just not the right thing. It's not for so many reasons, but here's one big reason is that it fails all of our minority students more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, but th- if, it, if it was just that reason, but there's many more, it's not, it's just not a good system. Um, and it was based, uh, if you go back to the history of it, 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 it was made to rank people. So it was never made so that, you would go ahead and, you know, they talk about the bell curve. 
or those types of topics, you know, where you wanted to have the majority of students in that C range, you know, it was never made so that you could get everybody past the finish line. I think Dr. Haskell used to say that all the time. Let's show you where the finish line is. What do you actually need to be able to do, you know, when you leave this class, you know, or even leave the specific unit you're on? Like, what do you need to demonstrate and give you an opportunity and the time to master that content? And we just don't do that. <laughs> it was never intended to do that, that specific thing. And uh, they talk about, you know, the things, not only are they going to change the ABCDF system based it on mastery, but they're going to change the things, um, which we'll talk about in just a little bit too. I mean, we could bring that into this topic too. Talking about things like when you turn in assignments late or just giving the concept of giving zeros uh, for late assignments and so on and so forth, right. removing all of those things and saying, okay, where were you at to start with? How much did you grow? And did you actually master this specific learning at to, and to what level and what did you master it's way more complex but it's also way more authentic as far as a learning thing and we talk about it all the time in when we reflect on video games because video games do this really well you may become the master and dominate and get every achievement ever right but very few people end up doing that and still feel a sense of achievement in the game because you you do these certain things and it shows you how you're growing and progressing as far as in the game itself. And you can finish the game, finish the course, finish the thing and, and feel a sense of achievement. Could you go over and above and beyond? Absolutely. Why not? You could also go ahead and do that. And it's in our, in order to do this, it's really complex. And that's why people talk about it a lot, but we need to go ahead and start making changes like this. This is a systemic change. Like at the, mm -hmm. and that's really where it starts happening. If, if the whole system says, nope, we're not doing that anymore. We need to figure out the better, a better way of doing this. We're going to um, demonstrate learning through mastery. Now let's fill in the gaps. How does that work? What does it look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Like, how do you do this? If you have that those conversations throughout a district, in this case, the second largest school district behind basically the L.A. school district uh, in California, that's freaking awesome. That's huge headway. And we can learn a lot then from not only their decision there, but whatever happens next. That's what I'm really curious at. Of seeing is how do they go about basically doing the professional development so their teachers know how to do this and make this a successful thing and and inform their parents and community and so on. So I thought it was a great article. Make sure that we shared it with our audience. Yeah, totally. Um, our our friend Mayor posted a, a tweet, little little hot takey maybe. <laughs> um, on uh, and we'll link it in in the show notes. But it says unpopular opinion. Kids don't need to attend class five days a week with a teacher in order to learn. And I am not sure where you land on this. And we haven't talked about this yet. I was tempted, <laughs> I've been tempted to actually text you about it all day. Um, but I resisted because I wanted the surprise of, of, of hearing your thoughts on this. And, and I shockingly prepped um, my thoughts okay. uh, a little bit, but I want to hear I want to hear your thoughts first because you well, you posted it. Yeah, and I'm I'm super interested in what your thoughts are. I I have a couple of thoughts. Number one, the concept of the five day week. Um, you, we've talked about it also on the show. 
previously. Uh, where, does, where does it actually come from and why do we actually have it still in place? And really, it's obvious. It's even even last week when we were talking about the election and so on and so forth and, and uh, Trump's rallies and he talks about we need the kids in school. It's not that we need the kids learning in school. That could be also a thing, but we need kids in school. It's because we need a place for kids to go so that yes. parents can work. Uh, and, and we've seen that through when uh, what happened this spring and, and even what's happening right now in, in still many states where they still are going distance learning and trying to figure out how do you supervise your kids safely? How do you keep them safe at their home and you mm-hmm. still go to work? How do you do that? How do you make that happen? Uh, anyway, the five-day week is antiquated. Absolutely. Um, and I have a couple of opinions about it. I've I've advocated for a four-day week because I worked at a four-day week school in Colorado and I thought it was amazing. And I actually, I actually felt rested by the time that I came back to class that following Monday because we had Fridays off. Um, and I'm, I'm a 100% supporter of that type of a system. And I thought my kids felt excited again <laughs> to be able to go in and come back after having this three-day week. And and we did a lot of other things on that Friday. We had professional development days quite a bit. So we really got a lot of professional development and really grew as educators because we had the time to be able to do that. We had sure. time to be able to go ahead and create uh, awesome lesson plans, to be able to uh, grade uh, assignments and give good feedback. It, it's all important. Um, I also um, wanted to go ahead and state, though, that the five-day week still needs to be an option for many of our students because schools are the for many of our students are the safest place for them. They are the the place where they may get uh, two meals per day uh, that they may not have gotten in, in otherwise uh, a breakfast and a lunch. As far as in U.S. schools, uh, it's also a place where they may feel. Um, you know, not only the the friendships that they develop with their peers, but also the, the uh, you know, I would call it the love, basically, that teachers basically feel for them and, they, and the interactions, the positive interactions that they're having. Uh, it could be the most positive place that they have on a daily basis. And some of our students are most vulnerable learners. I'm talking about English language learners or our students who are receiving special education services. I think that we still need to have that available for them. So it's a it's a pretty blanket statement. We don't five days a week. We don't need to attend for class five days a week. I, I like the way she actually phrased that because she says you don't need to attend. You're right. A lot of the times, especially at high school level, I think that's super antiquated. I think our high, our high school students can start making transitions towards uh, a, a modified hybrid type of schedule. And then they can get, we've talked about it also on the show, they can get some experiences outside of the school, um, mentorships that they can go in and and uh, get some opportunities to work in some places that they may not have otherwise or volunteer. Um, and you can only do that if you expand and, and move kind of flex, have the flexibility in a type of schedule to be able to do those kinds of things. And they do that already in a lot of schools, but it's, mm-hmm. But it's far and few between many of us still do an eight to three o'clock schedule because it's easy to plan. (laughs) It's easy for logistics. It's easy for our parents. Um, And 
if we start being able to move kind of away from those things and learn from what we have been learning, you know, kind of what can we do? The technology, we could, we've got that part. Uh, the pedagogy, we're still working on it to make sure that it's sound pedagogy of being able to do a hybrid approach. Um, but it's a really, really good conversation that I hope doesn't end, you know, when all of this is over. I hope, like you just talked about before too, Mike, with all these other topics, I hope this isn't just a topic right now. I hope it's something that we were like, you know what, we've learned a lot. We can start making these types of changes, these systemic changes um, for the good uh, of all of us, you know, the communities, especially our students. So that was a super long answer, sorry. <laughs> I think it's great. I think you're awesome. I think that's exactly... It's it's not actually I didn't know what you were gonna say, but um, <laughs> I'm glad you landed where you did because I, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, this is one of those conversations that cannot be summarily dismissed. Mm. Um, there are a lot of ideas about doing education differently than we're doing now. Some of them are crazier than others. This is not a crazy idea. Mm. It just sounds crazy to like a certain subset of people that, you know, love controlling, you know, populations and the workforce and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's only mm. really crazy to them. Those are the only people that would be super up in arms about this. And, and it could be educators who absolutely just love the fact that they can exert, you know, their kind of um, authority over mm. students because any other, you know, I would be disappointed in you as an educator if you weren't willing to at least entertain the possibility that there could be other better ways to teach students than the way we're teaching them now. Mm. Okay. And case in point, and the first thing I thought of when this came up um, on our outline was an amazing thread that is sort of related from not much longer ago, just like a week or so ago, um, by a, a fellow named David Bowles. Hmm. Okay. And and he wrote, and this first sentence or two blew my head off my shoulders when I read it. Okay. Um, I had never, I, I'm setting this up because I, so, so, um, um, when I read Sapiens for the first time, and Noel, Noel Yuval Harari's book about kind of the history of humans. Okay. And, and, one of the first things that he talks about in Sapiens, and everyone should go read Sapiens. It's it's mind-blowing. Um, he writes that everything is a story. Everything in all of humanity is just something we've made up. Okay. You know, um, <laughs> it, it's true, though. When you think about uh, currency is actually one of his really great examples. You know, we decided to print pictures on pieces of paper and then determine that those pieces of paper were worth something. That's a story so that true. we've all we've created <laughs> and that we collectively agree to. Mm -hmm. We agree that these papers have value. And when mm -hmm. I give you a paper, you give me a thing. <laughs> yes. Okay. And so that, weird, huh? <laughs> you know, 
that is a great example and language language is another classic example you know all it really is is a bunch of characters that you know in the beginning someone just bashed them out on a rock but then said this is the way we're gonna talk and write from now on Mm. and everyone wrote and everyone went yeah all right sounds good let's do it (laughs) right and so it became the way that they did things Mm -hmm. they settled on a story they settled on an idea okay that mindset i kind of felt that a little bit when he wrote i have a doctorate in education but the field is basically just a hundred years old Hmm. we don't really know what we're doing (laughs) (laughs) our scholarly understanding of how learning happens is like astronomy 2,000 years ago. Mm. I think that is the best opening Damn. sentence in a thread that I've ever heard. And he is a 100% right. We barely know how to teach people. In the, in the history of humanity, organized education has only been happening for a couple hundred years at mm. the most. We sure pretend, though, Mike, that we know, huh? Oh my <laughs> we like god! To use, we All like you to use a lot of go words to an like ed, ed tech conference, ed tech conference, and you'd think that we've been teaching Best for thousands of years. Pedagogy. Right? <laughs> the truth is, we don't know jack mm. about this in the grand scheme of things. We have two to four generations max of educated citizenry who have went through. <laughs> you know education as we kind of know it today when you say it that way a lot of things actually are starting to make sense (laughs) two to four generations like your great great grandparents if Mm -hmm. if your great 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 grandparents probably didn't go to school Mm. that's crazy huh two to four (laughs) generations max of people with real organized formal education we don't know anything in the broad sense Hmm. so to summarily dismiss ideas like this is just stupid Hmm. and you know to think that you might know better because you've taught in a classroom for 10 years you know is just i mean you gotta have some balls to say that (laughs) because Again, we don't know anything. We don't know anything about this. I, I we like think that. we do, and we pretend we do. Mm. And, you know, the the field is always evolving, always changing. We're always learning things. But, you know, if you want a case in point of this, the one of the leading scholars in the entire world on reading mm. has just changed her entire mind about how you teach reading. She and did such that an influential last, person. Last I mean, week, she yes. just said, everything I've been telling you for 20 <laughs> years is wrong. And it's like, and the, 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 the bravery to say everything I've said is probably not right anymore um, just shows you yeah. that, that, you know, to, to summarily dismiss a four-day school schedule because you love your job and because, especially to be honest, and there's people that are going to hate me uh, for saying it, but like 
you know, hardcore union people, for example, that are that no, because that's where a lot of this like systematic change mm. is is super heavily opposed to by teachers unions. It, by unions. it is any I'm a it is. Yeah. I don't care. At me, whatever <laughs> it is. Um and five day work weeks keep teachers employed. Yeah. More. It's yes. true. Yeah. Right? So agreed. You know, yep. um to to oppose the idea is wrong to suggest that because you've been te- even because you've been teaching in a class for 10 years, you know the answer to this. I'm sorry, you don't. Um, you know, the leading scholar on reading changed her mind after 20 years. Um, and she had the bravery to admit that she was wrong. Yes. Um, we can broach the topic of a four-day schedule and whether that's right for kids because, frankly, we've only been doing this for about a hundred years and you know we've been around for 10 or 20,000 so let's let's suggest let's that really let's, let's be open to the suggestion that there might be other ways still yes. instead of you know oh, settling so into good. settling so comfortably into the system that produced factory workers yes. and, 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 and and infantry men um, and that was really the only purpose of education if you I mean it gave me the chance to say Prussian school system oh there you um, go so you know if you're looking for the on education bingo card uh, for this month you can scratch off Prussian school system because Prussian I, because school I, system and later in the episode you'll hear teachers paid teachers so yeah so we nailed we nailed the on education bingo card this week um, so definitely worth you know not something to dismiss and and something we should keep talking about friends when we come back we're gonna have an awesome conversation with Susanna Pollock from games for change so stay with us welcome back to the podcast everyone Susanna Pollock is the president of games for change an organization with a mission to empower game creators and social innovators to drive real-world change using games that help people to learn improve their communities and contribute to make the world a better place. They also organize the Games for Change conference held every summer. Welcome to the podcast, Susanna. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. We're excited to talk about a special event happening in just a minute, but I suspect there might be some people listening today who just aren't familiar with Games for Change at all. Um, could you give us a little bit of the longer history on Games for Change and the conference and what type of work you guys do? Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Um, so Games for Change was founded, uh, my gosh, I guess it 10 years before I even got involved. But in 2004, there was a small group of academics and researchers that were really interested in this idea that games could have a power beyond entertainment. You know, there was a rising trend of not only young people, but people of all ages starting to play games, certainly with the advent of uh, mobile, like the mobile phones, with casual, the ga- casual games industry starting. Um, but there was this idea, this, this belief that if games were designed intentionally to address social issues, whether it's education or raising awareness around um, some of the biggest problems we have today, um, that 
that they actually could have have tangible and measurable impact. So um, it's a it was a grassroots community that started with 40 people in the basement of a office building, and over years uh, grew into being a really vibrant community. Um, and what's so interesting about it is that it continues to be cross sector. Because I think I mentioned at the beginning, I don't think anyone was actually a game designer who started the organization, but more and more the the, the community grew into into being not only accepted by the game design uh, sector, but not-for-profits, foundations, government agencies, um, the education community, um, healthcare is a, is an area which we're we're working a lot in right now, yeah. um, as well as like some of the um, you know largest NGOs and um, and like foundations around the world. So we've been developing programs over the last 17 years, including the annual Games for Change Festival. Um, and then with over the last uh, 10 years, uh, well, so I say seven years since uh, when I started getting involved, um, we started focusing a lot of our, our efforts in education, how games can be used in the classroom, how games can be used, um, um, just how game design itself could be educational. Um, and um, the academic and the education community really Really, really responded well to this, and we've developed a number of terrific programs um, to support this uh, development. So, one of the outcomes of the pandemic we think has been increased attention placed on the value of games in a remote experience. As an organization looking at games from a number of different angles, we're curious how you view things. How has the landscape for games changed in this past eight to ten months, and do you see the pandemic? having a lasting impact on how we view games uh, for learning going forward. Yeah, I mean, this period over the last 10 months has been, um, gosh, it's, I mean, it's been difficult in everyone, of course, for obvious reasons. But, uh, but it also presented an interesting, um, as you say, like an interest and an appreciation for the sector that we've been working in and really trying to advocate, right, for the past 17 years, right. that games can actually have this positive impact on the communities and engage with them. And when we found, all of ourselves found ourselves isolated in, in quarantines, many, many people turned to playing games as a way to connect with you know, people in their community, whether it was young people playing Minecraft or, you know, uh, or, or Call of Duty or, you know, or Overwatch or whatever it might be. Fortnite is a place to connect with people, to connect with their friends that they couldn't see anymore or connect with their relatives. Um, so just as an, as a place of convening, right, and connection mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. at its very roots, even in the commercial industry, that was showing value. Um, but then as a, as it, connected with or had relevance with younger people um, and within the education sector, you know, there's a whole industry of games that have been designed for educational purposes. And we've, we saw an increase of interest in this sect, in, in, in these products and these experiences by the education community and by parents that were doing remote learning as it was an obvious way to engage um, students in content and learning experiences in, a, in a, a way that they can do it from their dining room tables or they can do it from their their rooms um, and uh, it's been a very um, 
I say unanticipated outcome. I couldn't tell you that at the beginning of 2020, I would say this would be the year where everyone embraces games. But, um, but we have seen a tremendous level of interest. And I do think it will continue, right? Like once people's eyes open up to ways in which this form of entertainment can add value to our lives, um, I think, um, we're just going to only see that accelerate. And evolve. I was just, I was just thinking the other day, um, my son has um, taken an interest in in world history, um, and um, it's it's kind of evolved over the over the pandemic kind of period here, and it it reminded me and it, a long any longtime listener of the podcast would would know my love affair with Sid Meier's Civilization, um, and you know my fanboy. Ness ador- adoration for Kurt Squire, uh, and and it's like thinking back to you know I I've said it a million times I wouldn't be a teacher, I wouldn't be an educator if it was not for Sid Meier's Civilization. I a hundred percent think that, and so I'm thinking about like my son now, and I'm like, dude, you need to play Civilization, my boy. Um, talk a little bit about. You know the power of games to do that—that—that—that—that that, 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 that piece, especially commercial games, especially games that are kind of like you can just pick up off Steam and play, and they have this like formative, powerful educational impact. Um, there's lots of them out there. Sid Meier's Civilization is just one of them. Yeah. I, would, I mean, I, I love civilization and I had like the most amazing opportunity to interview him a few years ago. Oh my and, God. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. You I'm can reading find his it. book right now. It's so great. Yeah. It's so great. Um, so, um, so you're right. So civilization, I guess right now is like 27 years old. Um, I think yeah. since the first Civ came out and right. I mean, he will say that, it, I mean, it certainly wasn't developed to be a, an educational game, but the integrity and the, insight that the developers, you know, had in, in developing an experience that offered opportunities for people to think critically and to, you know, be inspired to do research, to understand about the, uh, um, the periods of history in which they were, you know, building worlds within, right. Was, was, had just tremendous impact. I mean, the reason that I interviewed him at the time was because they started actually working on an educational version of it that could build curriculum, formally build curriculum around a game that, that, as you said, inspired you so much and 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 continues to inspire young uh, young people, um, you know, as a way to. uh, as a way to make it easier um, for educators to bring it into the classroom, right? And that, and that actually makes me think, because it is hard. It is hard to think about as an educator to, to think through, all right, how do I introduce this in a way that aligns with my curriculum, right? That, mm. that will help me get to where I need to, to go in terms of, of what do I need to achieve with students over the years, over the year. Um, but then you can, then, but then you have, um, studios like Ubisoft and with a game like Assassin's Creed that I think yes. it did, has done, you know, develop this passion for world history through playing this, right? This, um, commercial game that also was made with historical researchers on the team right and and is accurate we, we interviewed we interviewed maxime durand the, the game the game director he's amazing he, it, was, it was fantastic he was Absolutely on the podcast amazing. it was yeah. awesome i mean i'd like to to think that we played a small like really tiny role in getting ubisoft into the right 
frame of mind and corporately to allow focus and resources to go into creating an educational version of yeah. Assassin's Creed. Um, it's a because, risk. Yeah. I mean, they came to our festival like six years ago and, and we had a, a specific summit uh, called Games for Learning Summit, which has evolved into a track at our event. And it was an opportunity for them to read it, to meet educators that had been modding the game for years, yeah. trying to figure out how to, how do they bring this game into the classroom? And they were, they were inspired. And, you know, five years later, they've re, they've released Discovery Tour, you know, Ancient Egypt and now Ancient Greece. And, um, and there are, you know, um, structured ways in which educators to bring it in. And I just love that story because, to me, that's a huge win for for our organization to get this commercial, uh, you know, AAA studio to realize that you know what mm. there's there's like an opportunity and a responsibility, you know, to to use the medium that they've been developing and finding positive ways to uh, to impact the world. I I follow Maxime on Twitter. And he's been tweeting a lot about the Vikings and and stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, you can't just tweet about the Vikings and not, you know, we know what you're up to now because <laughs> obviously Valhalla's coming out. And it's like, uh, and he also mentioned when we interviewed him, I remember he said, you know, the one of the things we did with the second one was we developed it kind of side by side. Mm -hmm. So they went from like taking a risk on that first one after the fact to being almost convinced, like absolutely bought into the idea that they needed to do, to do this, the second one kind of almost at the same time. And you can definitely tell that the third one, the one that's not out yet is totally the third discovery tour is totally being developed because you know um maxime is tweeting about the vikings a lot and that was like yeah man it's coming it's, yeah, i'm so it's psyched about great. it it's, it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be amazing great. yeah i mean ubisoft has really bought into the education opportunity i mean they they also invested in creating a coding game right for out of rabbits out of uh, oh, right. rabbits right which they're releasing for free yeah. um so it's fantastic when you have a triple a studio that that says, you know, we're, we're going to lean into this space um, because uh, we want to engage and, and have a positive impact. Nice. So, Susanna, it's safe to say we're going through pretty turbulent times. <laughs> That's like the understatement of the century. Um, the U.S. specifically is continuing to tackle COVID-19 while also coming to grips with how they approach, you know, racism in society um, and an election you know, is just a couple weeks away. Um, I've been saying for years that games have an incredible power to teach the tough stuff. Um, and I think games for change would be ideally suited to leading a charge like that. How do you view the role of games when it comes to the tough stuff? And where do you think games could go as we move forward in these sort of narratives? Well, you know, what, what are the... Interesting things about games as a medium, which is different than other forms of traditional entertainment, you know, is the sense of agency that players are given when they enter into a story, right? They can change the outcome of the story. They can, they can step in, into someone else's shoes. They can fail and, you know, respond and try again. And all of that, you know, just isn't possible in a linear narrative. And I think because you have that that uh, relationship with content, you're given like liberties to explore and make errors and, and, and model behavior, 
right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really interesting thing, certainly in narrative games. Um, you know, a game like Life is Strange just has a tremendous appeal, you know, in allowing people to explore, um, you know, the issues that that, that addresses. And then you have games like, um, like uh, Plague, right? Like Plague is like this awesome game that is, um, you know, it wasn't created about the, the pandemic that we're in right now, you know, nor was it about solving a pandemic. It inverts an issue into a very playful yet informative and ultimately educational approach, right? Like where you are, you are, you're a virus, right? And mm. you are, and you, in the game plague, and you are trying to infect the world, right? And just by inverting that puts people in a story in a way that's fun and exciting. Um, that doesn't feel so heady. It doesn't feel like you are being taught to, right? They have this expression about chocolate covered broccoli. Anything in a games for change should be. Um, so there, there are um, there, there, there are just some some tremendous opportunities that games that we've seen in games to date that have addressed difficult issues, whether it's um, you know refugee crisis or world or stories within world wars um, that allow uh, people to feel like they're a step removed from the realities of any kind of hardship and given permission to play, explore, um, to role play and, and, um, and be part of the solution. So we have an exciting announcement. Games for Change is sponsoring a STEM Your Game Challenge where developers have all autumn through December 4th to submit their game, either in a final stage or a beta stage. And up to three winners will be selected and given up to $150,000. That's a lot of money. To use over the next five months to create a STEM learning version of their game. Tell us more about the STEM Your Game Challenge because this sounds amazing. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we're really excited about this program. So, you know, there are a lot of developers out there that are, are making educational games from the from the start, and and I commend them, and we support that community, and and I think um, there's some valuable and 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 really effective um, games there. Uh, but what we're trying to do though is engage in a creative community that might not be thinking about the educational market. They are starting out as being just commercial game designers. They understand play. They they are looking to make a successful game and we're, we are trying to engage more people into into the space so we put out this this challenge this thesis out there saying do you have a game that you think that actually could be adapted into introducing or teaching middle schoolers in particular about stem concepts um, and if we paired you with an educator or curriculum developer to go inside your game and and make tweaks I mean we're leaving a very open-ended about what exactly would need to be changed or a lot or, or not not very much and just build a curriculum around it um, and, and, and see what, you know, over that period of time, over the five months with a little bit of resources or a lot of resources and the, and for us, it's the games for change to bring the right expertise into that development team, right? Mm-hmm. To, to who understands the needs of middle schoolers, who understands the, and understands games, but understands how, um, information and material would need to be presented and pair that as a partnership with the creatives, right? With those who, the, those designers who understand play and, and the developers who know how to make an, uh, an engaging game. Can we then reintroduce that game 
within the educational market, both in twofold. One, we, we really uh, want and will need that for there to be an, a free educational version. We want this, this, these games that come out of this program to be able to reach kids regardless of where they are and, and their, you know, and, and their school system's economic, right? status. Um, uh, but then there's an opportunity too for these developers to see if there is a, uh, an opportunity to develop a business model around, um, a consumer version, right? Think about something that parents might want to buy for, for their kids as well. So yeah, it's a, you know, it's a bit of an experiment, but something that we feel, um, excited about. And I can tell you that from the initial reaction that we're getting from developers about this opportunity, there's a lot of interest and it's really, really exciting. I bet. Um, so how can people connect with you online, learn more about games for change or the STEM uh, your game challenge. Yeah, so on our website, which is gamesforchange.org, um, right there, smack in the middle of our landing page, is a link where you can learn more um, uh, the guidelines and the requirements about you know what we're looking for and uh, and with the stage in which we want you know the, we we will need your game to be developed. We're not looking for like uh, an early concept or a prototype. We are looking for games and studios you know studios that have a game up that have been produced up to a certain point. Um, so, uh, so you can see about the guidelines uh, through there, um, and then you can always email us at uh, contact at gamesforchange.org if you have some specific questions. Awesome, Susanna Pollock. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's been my pleasure, and uh, I hope we get to come again sometime in the future. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Herb Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks, as always, for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.